From the Financial Times in New York, I'm Amy Keene, and this is FT News. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA, shame on you. A group of teenage survivors of a U.S. high school shooting have taken command of the national debate over one of the most contentious issues in American life, gun control and the influence the National Rifle Association has on U.S. politics. This movement comes after the massacre of 17 people at a high school in Parkland, Florida, earlier this month. But the question that remains is whether the student's action can move the needle on the national debate around gun control. And to try to answer this question is Shannon Bond here with me in New York. Shannon, can you start by providing some context to the debate around gun control in the U.S.? It's sort of hard to express how politically contentious gun control is in the U.S., partially because uh, there, there's a, a very high level of gu- gun ownership in the U.S. There are a lot of guns here. It's enshrined in the Constitution that there is you know, a right to gun ownership. And there's a very strong political lobby in support of that, which gives a lot of money to politicians. And that's really played out in American culture, where there's a big divide, I'd say, between people who want essentially unfettered access to guns and people who want restrictions on them. It's just something that comes up again and again, we see in these political debates in which members of Congress, you know, who receive a lot of funding from the gun lobby, you know, resist calls for change. And the way we see this kind of play out most viscerally is in the wake of mass shootings. So over recent decades, where they've been essentially an ongoing epidemic of mass shootings, and many involving schools, what will happen is there'll be a shooting, there'll be an outpouring of grief, um, there'll be you know a lot of discussion about our thoughts and prayers being with the victims, there will be calls for something to change, and then nothing really happens over the long term. Laws don't change, politicians aren't swayed, and the advocates of gun control you know, have yet to really capitalize on the sort of the momentum you might think they would have coming out of these sort of national tragedies, which do get a huge amount of coverage and evoke a, a lot of horror, I think, in the American public. And the reason that we're talking about this now is because after yet another mass shooting, now we're talking over a week ago in Southern Florida at a high school, it feels a bit different, a bit of a different response. And this was in the form of the survivors, the teenage survivors from the school coming together and demanding change in a way that we haven't really seen in previous years. Yeah, it's been really interesting. So there was a shooting um, just over a week ago in Florida at this high school. 17 people were killed. And you might expect that, like we just discussed, like previous shootings, you know, there's been a lot of grief. There's been a, you know, a lot of coverage of this. But it's not necessarily clear that there should be anything really different about this. But these teenagers who survived the shooting, this is a school of about 3,000 kids, This happened during the school day on Valentine's Day. These kids have come out very publicly, very quickly, immediately after the shooting and started calling for reform. And I think there's a couple things that are happening. I think there's an element of the timing of this. I think there's a lot of general unhappiness with the government. I think there's there's a sense that actually politicians on both sides of the aisle have really fallen down on this. It's not just a matter of Democrats or Republicans. You know, when you hear some of these survivors talking about this, a lot of them point back to Sandy Hook, which was a shooting at an elementary school in 2012 in Connecticut, where a bunch of kindergartners were killed. And after that shooting, there was a lot of momentum. There were parents were going to Congress, were lobbying for gun control. We had a Democrat in the White House, Barack Obama, and nothing happened. So what you've had after this the shooting in Parkland is it's not even just the family members. It, these are the kids who were in the school. They witnessed their friends. They witnessed, yeah, they witnessed their friends being killed. They were hiding in classrooms for hours. 
they have said enough. They've rallied around this slogan, this hashtag that they're using on social media that they've named their movement after, which is never again, because they're saying they want this to be the last school shooting in American history. You know, essentially a group of them in the days and even hours after the shooting came together, started talking about what can we do differently, started calling on the state lawmakers in Florida to take up the issue of gun control, started tweeting at President Trump started tweeting at you know, members of the Senate, started you know, tweeting at people who had received donations from the NRA, saying, you know, we're going to hold the adults in our life accountable. They're saying, our lives are on the line. We go to school. We don't need to go to school and be at risk of being killed. And we want the adults in our lives to step up. And they're saying, we can't vote yet, but you know, we want to mobilize this sort of mass resistance. It does seem, uh, at least thus far, to be a little bit different. It's still on the headlines. I would argue it's actually getting more attention as time has gone by rather than less. You might sort of previously have seen, you know, there's coverage, there are coverage of the funerals, and then, you know, the survivors start to fade from view. But these kids are out there. They're on CNN all the time. They're on Fox News. They're giving interviews. They're writing op-eds for major national news outlets. And they're organizing. And they're organizing around some very specific demands about improving background checks and sort of concrete proposals that would change gun control policy. They're organizing an event. They're organizing a march in March next month in Washington, D.C., that they're hoping will go nationwide. There are some other activists related to this who are calling for school walkouts. And it does feel like there's a different kind of energy around this that has to do with it. It is these survivors who were intimately involved in this standing up and saying, we're not going to take this anymore. And it's also these survivors who essentially for the first time are survivors that are fully of the internet generation. To them, connecting with students around the country and mobilizing, galvanizing this kind of a movement, it's quite simple using social media, using Facebook, using Twitter, using, as you mentioned, all of these different platforms to say, this has to change never again. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's easier than ever to connect, right, not just with their their classmates, but you know, kids around the country with other activists, with politicians, with anyone who can support them. The barrier to entry to turning this into a media story is fairly low because they have this platform, they have this ability to do this kind of outreach, and they have the savvy to really engage, I think, with some of their critics, with people who, who might be pushing back against this. You know, and it's something we've definitely seen conservative media be very effective at. You know, when these kind of issues come up on Twitter or on conservative, you know, right-leaning websites, you'll see pundits sort of pick up these ideas and push them. And what's been really interesting is to see how these students are really pushing back. So one of the examples of this is that there have been these conspiracy theories going around the past couple of days, being pushed by far-right people on the internet, saying that the some of the students, some of the activists aren't actually students, that they're paid actors who have come in to capitalize on people's emotions, which we should say are untrue. <laughs> it seems there's going to be completely baseless, but they have spread pretty quickly on social media. And what you've seen is these kids, you know, they're not just saying, oh, they're not true, but they're, you know, they're, they're making fun of it. They're using sarcasm. You know, they are kind of engaging in with these trolls, like in the terms that the trolls are using in the same way they're engaging with um, conservative pundits in the same way and really and hitting back. And it's really allowing them to take control, I think, of this story and to, to not let it be derailed by the critics who might come along. Which I think is, again, another thing that's that's been different than what we've seen in previous incidents. Is there any indication that anything is going to change? I mean, you talked about the parents of kids who went to Sandy Hook who died, who had the support of the president at the time, who had, you know, 
blown up photos of their children in Congress and nothing happened. Is there any indication that though it feels different now is actually going to move public sentiment? It's going to change policy? I mean, I think, frankly, it's too early to say. So we saw this week um, a delegation of the students went to Tallahassee, the capital of Florida, to lobby lawmakers to take up some gun control measures. You know, they were there all day. They were meeting with people. And then in the end, the legislature didn't even bring the issues up for a vote. That isn't necessarily a promising beginning. I think it's really early. They have captured this national attention. They have a platform for this. They have people listening to them. And it will also depend on, to a degree, on what the White House does. So we have a Republican president and a Republican Congress. Now, President Trump met with survivors and with parents in a, a kind of unprecedentedly public listening session where, you know, he listened to their stories and he listened to what they wanted to have happen. And he did give some indications that he might be open to supporting some measures of gun control that you haven't typically seen Republicans wanting to support. So in improving background checks, raising the age to buy some weapons, you know, and if the White House really does follow through on that and he pushes Congress to do it, then then we might see some steps in that direction. At the same time, he put out a series of tweets calling for teachers to be armed in schools. And that's a position that's been pushed by the NRA and which is not generally supported by gun control advocates who are you know, generally arguing for less guns in schools rather than more. So again, you know, it, he's sort of going in one direction, but also kind of countering in the other direction, you know, and, and for him, this may be a bit politically difficult given his base and, you know, given the tremendous financial support that a lot of the lawmakers in Congress, Republican lawmakers in Congress received from the NRA. It is soon to say, but if these kids are able to keep this message in the forefront, in the headlines, you know, if they're able to kind of build the sustained momentum, similar to in a way what we've seen, you know, the Women's March kind of coming back again and again and making their presence felt and saying this isn't just a one-time thing, you know, that may actually be the kind of catalyst for change. Thank you, Shannon. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryan, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.